So I want you to look at the book of Ephesians chapter number 5. Last week for Father's Day, we kind of kicked off this home improvement series, but today we're going to talk about a Christian home, a Christian home. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18, the Bible says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now today we're going to reflect on these four verses. The next time we meet together in regards to our home improvement series, we're going to look at the rest of the chapter. But today I'd like to just focus on these four verses here and talk about a Christian home. Now some of you are here today, in fact many of you are saying to yourselves, well preacher, I've already raised my kids. Truthfully, today's sermon not only applies to the home, but it applies to every born-again believer. There are great principles in these few verses that will apply to you if you'll be willing to listen to the Spirit of God speak to you and challenge you about decisions you need to make in your personal life. So let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord in heaven, I thank you for today. Already my heart has been touched. This special song that I heard, Praise be to the Father, the Son, the Spirit, three in one. All the wonderful things you've done in our lives. You truly are a good God. Help our focus right now to be on the speaking of the Word of God. Help every hearer. Help the speaker today. And may you guide me in what I share. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three homes that every person, a born-again person, ought to be a part of, actually. First of all is a heavenly home. If you've asked Jesus Christ to save you, you have a heavenly home. Isn't it wonderful to know that John 3.16 gives the promise that every person that places their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has eternal life? And where will that eternal life be spent but where Jesus made the promise in John chapter 14 that He's building a home for us? Now it's almost 2,000 years ago that Jesus made the statement in John 14 that He's building a home for us. If you've built a home, it might have taken you several months, maybe some of you even a year plus, maybe close to two years, and you say to yourself, I'm glad this project is done, but here's my home after this amount of time of building. Imagine what Jesus is putting together for you, what He's preparing for you over these last couple thousand years. How wonderful. If you're saved today, you have a heavenly home. Second home that every person ought to be a part of is a good church home. Now just because you're here today doesn't mean this is your church home. You may just attend here. But I believe it is important that every person 
personally identify with the local church by joining up and saying, I will be a part of this church. I will help this church. I will grow in my spiritual journey with this church. But another home that every person ought to have is a strong Christian home. A heavenly home, a good church home, but a strong Christian home. I don't have to rehearse with you today, but if you look around, the family unit is falling apart. There are spiritual forces in place all around in this world today trying to destroy the family. There is a sociologist and historian by the name of Carl Zimmerman that put together a book by the name that was called Family and Civilization. And in the book, he talked about the disintegration of various cultures with the parallel decline of family life in those cultures. And he named eight specific patterns of domestic behavior typified, which typified the downward spiral of that culture that Zimmerman himself had studied. Now when I read and give you these eight specific patterns, you're going to think that this book was written this year. But Zimmerman wrote this book in 1947. Listen to how much wisdom he had in showing these eight declines in these homes and cultures. Listen to this. Number one, marriage loses its sacredness, frequently broken by divorce. Number two, traditional meaning of the marriage ceremony is lost. Number three, the feminist movement abounds. Number four, there's an increased public disrespect for parents and authority in general. Number five, there's an acceleration of juvenile delinquency, promiscuity, and rebellion. Number six, there's a refusal of people with traditional marriages to accept family responsibilities. Number seven, there's a growing desire for and acceptance of adultery. Number eight, This is what Zimmerman noted. There's an increasing interest in and spread of sexual perversions and sex-related crimes. Does that relate today? I mean, how profound a man writes this in 1947 and has such foreknowledge, if you will, and foresight of what is going on in America today. There's a man by the name of Carl Zimmeister actually for a period of time, was the editor-in-chief of the American Enterprise magazine, which was a national magazine covering politics, business, and culture. He later on became the director of the White House Domestic Policy Council under George Bush, number, uh, president number 43, I think the number was there. Here's what he said in a particular uh, article that he wrote. He said, we talk about the drug culture, we talk about the educational crisis, the drug crisis, the problems of teen pregnancy, juvenile crime, but all of these are traced back to one predominant source, broken families. 
Now today I'm talking about a Christian home. I'm talking about a home that has Christian values and a family that is all together. But today you might say to yourself, oh, I know what defines a Christian home. I know what a Christian home looks like. But I'm sad to say that many of our definitions of a Christian home fall short of what a Christian home really should be. In other words, if you drive down any neighborhood, you see all sorts of homes. Every home has certain particular structures. There are walls, there's a roof, there's a foundation. But every home has different sizes, there's different layouts inside and outside. There are different colors that are put on to paint the house. There's a certain view that certain houses may have. And how interesting that every person thinks, well, this is what makes a Christian home. This is what makes a Christian home. You might be here today and say, well, my, my, my spouse is saved, therefore we have a Christian home. Or you might say, well, my children or grandchildren attend a Christian school, therefore we have a Christian home. Or you might think to yourself, because we attend a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, that means we have a Christian home. And I'm certainly glad that if you can name some of these things, those are great things to have, but it doesn't always constitute what a Christian home is. Could I ask you? What truly makes a Christian home? And secondly, do you have a Christian home? Things you ought to think about. I love the little story I was reading about a little boy. There was a dedication that went on in their family. They had a a dedication for the children. And so after the dedication of the little baby brother in church, little Johnny sobbed all the way home in the backseat of his car. His father turned around about halfway home and asked him, he said, son, he said, what's wrong? Finally, the boy, after mustering up, after the tears coming down, he replied to his dad, that pastor said he wanted us brought up in a Christian home, and I want to stay with you guys. Well, let's explore, if we can, really what a Christian home is. There's four things that I want to give to you today, and that is, first of all, a Christian home is one in which the Spirit of God is in control. A Christian home is one in which the Spirit of God is in control. Now, some people today in Christian circles have a hard time defining and identifying who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. But let me just briefly, in just a a quick synopsis, help you understand those two things. First of all, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is God. Is it not interesting that His title references Him as the Holy Spirit? He is the one who is involved in creation. Genesis 1 verse 2, the Spirit of God was there. Psalm 130 verse number 104 talks about His involvement there in creation. When you read about the Holy Spirit through the Bible, He has the very same characteristics that God the Father has. He is God, but He is a person. Sometimes people think of the Holy Spirit as this force. 
almost like Star Wars, that the Holy Spirit is this, this force, this inanimate object, if you will. But I want to tell you something. The Holy Spirit is a real person who is given by God the Father to dwell in your life. John chapter 16, verse 7, listen to these words. Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient or necessary that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. How many of you are here today and you can say confidently, Preacher, I'm saved and I know it. Would you give me a hearty amen? Amen. Amen. Well, if you just said amen right now, the day that you got saved and asked Jesus into your life, guess who took residence in your life? It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent from the Father to come live in your heart. Why did Jesus leave this world? Could not Jesus have stayed? Sure, He could have stayed. He could have been here, could have attended some of our services if He so chose to do so. But the reason Jesus left is because when He was on this earth, He could only be at one place at one particular time. But He ascended to heaven and He sent the Holy Spirit. And when you got saved, that Holy Spirit dwelt inside of you. Now what is He doing? Why is he there? Well, that's very interesting that you talk about that. John chapter 14, 15, and 16 talk very much about the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. Let me give you a verse for just a moment. I want you to make note of this and listen to this verse. John 14, verse 26. Jesus said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, what is the Holy Spirit doing? Well, first of all, he's teaching us. Do you know what's happening right now? As I'm verbally sharing this message with you, the Holy Spirit is taking those words and causing you to understand those in a greater way. You know who the greatest teacher is in your Christian life? It's not some pastor. It's not some Sunday school teacher. But it is the very Spirit of God who interprets and helps you understand the things of God. But He not only teaches you, He brings things to your remembrance. Some of you that are older today say, I wish He'd do a little bit better job in bringing things to my remembrance. I'm a little forgetful. But I want to tell you something. The Holy Spirit helps you with the spiritual things. You may be talking to somebody about the gospel and the Spirit of God brings to your mind certain verses that you can share. You may be involved in some spiritual work and the Spirit of God reminds you of things you need to take care of in your life. But more importantly about the Spirit of God in what He does is this aspect given in the title in John 14, 26. He is referenced as the Comforter. A Comforter. It's nice when we go through troubles that we're comforted, aren't we? It's nice when we need someone in a real hard spot for someone to put their arm around us and comfort us. And the Holy Spirit of God does that. But there's something more than just the warm emotions of comforting. The very word comforter literally means this. It is one who comes alongside to help. An advocate. Or let me give another illustration that may help you understand the Holy Spirit as a comforter. How many of you understand a public adjuster? 
In the last nine or ten months, we've heard that word come around, haven't we? Someone like a public adjuster comes to help you and helps work on your behalf to get what you need from the insurance company. Can I say that the Holy Spirit, without charging you, and doing the very necessary job that needs to be done in your life, the Holy Spirit is your public adjuster. He comes alongside you to help you live the Christian life. Now you say, preacher, that's all great. What does that have to do with the home? What does that have to do with the family? Well, go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18. And notice here, when it's talking about the Holy Spirit, that comforter, he's given an illustration here about things that we well understand. And he's telling us how to be filled with the Spirit of God. But he gives an illustration concerning wine or alcohol. Now, I don't have to really belabor this. I think all of you understand this. Wine or alcohol is a controlling substance. Why I have personally chosen to stay away from wine or alcohol is because I don't want anything else controlling me but the Spirit of God. I don't want drugs controlling me. I don't want alcohol controlling me. I don't want anything else controlling me but the very Spirit of God. And so here today, wine is referenced as a controlling spirit. But I want to tell you something, that the Holy Spirit is given to us to control us. You say, preacher, how do I get controlled by the Holy Spirit of God? It's very simple. You yield to the Spirit of God's working in your life. You know why the Holy Spirit was sent? To live inside of you, to teach you, to bring things to your remembrance, to come alongside you, to help you. And as the Spirit of God is there to control your life, to help you live out God's purpose for your life, the only way that will happen is when you say yes to His work in your life. Now, where that applies in the family is this. Some of you in your homes need more spirit control and less of your personal control. Some of you are trying to live out family life in your strength, in your control. You're trying to manipulate things. And I want to tell you something. You do things in the flesh and you're going to lose every time. But you live out the Spirit of God's control in your life. And I'm telling you, it'll make a wonderful Christian home. Because in your home, you will either be Holy Spirit of God dominated, or you will be fleshly dominated. There's only two sides of this. You either yield to the Spirit, or you yield to the flesh's control. And I want to encourage you and your families here today, if you're a mother, a father, a grandfather, a grandmother, a husband, a wife, whoever you may be today, yield to the Spirit's control. What makes a Christian home? It is a home where the Spirit of God has control. Number two key component of a Christian home is this. The Scriptures are communicated. Look at this verse here in verse number 19. I love this. The Bible says, But speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now we often use this verse when it comes to the area of music. 
we reference different types of music, there are certain music, uh, pieces of music that it would be considered spiritual songs, some that are hymns, some of the psalms we've sung before. They're beautiful. But I want to tell you something. This verse communicates much more than just the aspect of music. Some of you in your homes, you don't have much musical talent, and it's okay. If you try singing in church, people say to you, um, are you singing on tune, or what are you singing? So some of you don't have much of a musical aspect, but I think verse number 19 is more than just the music part. Notice what should saturate music and what ought to saturate your home. It is the Word of God. When we select songs to be sung here, we don't sing songs just because they've got a little catchy tune to them. We don't sing songs just because they sound nice, though that's not a bad thing in and of itself. But in church, we want songs that communicate the truth of the Word of God. The songs you sang this morning are songs that communicated beautifully the very truths and principles of the Word of God. You know what should dominate your home? It's the Word of God. Hold your place here in Ephesians chapter 5, and I want you to do me a favor. Go back to Psalm chapter number 78. The book of Psalm, chapter number 78. Now, Psalm's a fairly big book. It's got 150 chapters. If you just kind of flip back through in the Old Testament, hopefully you'll find it. Psalm chapter 78, and I want you to notice some things here that I want to apply to us in regards to the Word of God. Psalm chapter 78, verse number 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. Showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He had done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. As I read these verses here, verses 1 through 6, I found that there are three overarching but three powerful truths given to us. Number one, we ought to listen to the Word of God. Number two, the Word of God needs to be shared. Number three, the Word of God will build strong believers. Now, I didn't mention anything about family there because ultimately we can take this passage and apply it to every one of us. You ought to be in a place where you hear the Word of God. And why should you be in a place to hear the Word of God? Is so that way you can grow in the things of God. But notice here what families are to do. Moms and dads are to sit down with their children and rehearse with them the principles of the Word of God. Every one of us should hear the Word of God. And every one of us should be giving out and sharing the Word of God. And not just sharing the Word of God, but sharing what God is doing. 
You know what they made a law in Israel and for Jacob, the people of Israel? They wanted to rehearse over and over what God did in their lives. I'll bet you every Jewish family, when they'd sit down at night, they would talk about what God did at the Red Sea. They would sit down and talk about what God did with the plagues of Egypt and how God led that little fledgling country of the Israelites out of that strong, powerful nation of Egypt. And God did that. And every Jewish family would listen over and over of the Word of God and how God helped them. You know what your young people need? Our young people need? They need moms and dads, grandmothers and grandfathers who are rehearsing the Word of God and sharing what God did in their life. You ought to be sharing on a regular basis how God saved you. God ought to be doing such a work in your life that there are testimonies. God provided here. God met that need. God did this for me. Oh, I was able to share the gospel with this person. And this person gloriously got saved. Over and over we're sharing these things. Why? Because verse number 6, we want the next generation who rises up and doesn't do what the statistics are telling us today, that kids are leaving church. You know why kids are leaving church? Because mom and dads have no Christian substance to them. Mom and dad have nothing to share with their kids. Mom and dad aren't living for Jesus. Churches are dead. They're not getting the gospel out. But I'm telling you, if you've got a family, a mom and dad, who are living for Jesus, and you've got a church home where Jesus is emphasized and the gospel is going on and people are getting saved, these kids growing up see it and they want to be a part of it later. So what am I sharing with you? What makes a Christian home? You saturate your home with the Word of God. What are you doing with the Word of God in your home? Is the only time you take your Bible and use your Bible at home is when you go to church? Hey kids, where's my Bible? You should have seen it that morning. Yesterday morning, gotten up and read the Bible. You ought to take time to share the Scriptures with your kids. They ought to see you sitting down and reading the Scriptures. I've shared this on a few occasions. One memory that is very vivid in my mind of when my mom and dad first got saved. I can still picture that living room. It was the 1970s, orange chairs. How many remember those orange chairs? Ugly. Wow. They kept them into the 80s, I think even into the 90s. But I remember my dad, who'd come home from work. He'd sit down in his chair. He'd take his Bible. He'd have this big commentary called Strong's Concordance. We got one of those back there. You forget going to the gym. You just carry that Strong's Concordance with you. It'll give you a workout. He'd open up that book and he'd study out some of the words. And my dad would spend time reading the Word of God. That made an impact on me. Do your kids and grandkids see you reading the Word of God? Are you taking time to share with them what God's Word says? You say, oh, preacher, that's the Sunday school teacher's job. My kids go to a Christian school. They get the Word of God five days a week. I want to tell you something and hear me loud and clear. No Christian school teacher, no Sunday school teacher ought to be a substitute for your work in giving the Word of God. It's your job. To share the Word of God with them. 
So number two component of a Christian home is, number one, the Spirit of God's in control. Number two, the Scriptures are communicated. But number three, there's a satisfaction in Christ. Take a look at verse number 20. I want you to highlight one little word that is used here. It is the word thanks. Thanks. It's sad that many homes are a place where there is an ungrateful spirit. I read a story about a very brilliant Scottish writer. His name was Thomas Carlyle. He lived on a farm in Dumfrieshire, which he called the loneliest nook in Britain. Each day, Thomas Carlyle would climb a ladder to his attic where he worked until dark. His devoted wife, Jane, was left alone. And one evening at dinner, Jane asked why he had never expressed appreciation for the food that she lovingly prepared for him. Woman, Carlyle barked, must you be paid for everything you do? With that, he stamped off to his attic workshop. Years later, after his wife died, Carlyle found her diary. And on tear-stained pages, he read this re occurring refrain. Oh, I wish you would say a kind word or give me a compliment now and then about the things I try to do to make you happy. I know that there will be tough times along the way. I know there's frustration. There's circumstances. But may I say to you, That a home that is dominated by thankfulness is a blessed home. Thank God every time you sit down to eat, thank Him for the food that He's prepared for you. Thank God for your family members because someday you'll not have the opportunity to hug their neck. Thank God for the place you have to live. Thank God for the bed you sleep in. Thank God for the pillow that you lay your head on. There is so much to thank the Lord for. But as we think of this word thanks, I I think there's some great things that can be applied to the home. And when we look at the word thanks, I want you to notice here, look back at verse number 20. Please see this for just a moment. The Bible says, giving thanks always for all things unto God. Who's the thanks to be given to? To God. Who supplied your home? Who supplied your food? Who supplied everything that you have? It's God that's given to you. And how interesting it is that the word thanks comes from two different Greek words which we get for good and grace. In other words, God's grace works well in your life. And when I say thanks to God, I give Him thanks for what He's given to me. And it is all for His glory. Do you know when you give thanks, do you know what it comes down to? It abounds in a person who is satisfied before God. A lot more homes need some thanksgiving and satisfaction. Okay, things don't go as planned. You've had struggles along the way, but my Bible tells me to give thanks in all things. 
My Bible reminds me that God is a plan in everything. And if I would give thanks, I would find His immeasurable grace. And may I say this results in a wonderful way. If you give thanks and you continually do it, your home will be one of satisfaction in God and not a grumbling home. You know what I find about many homes? Just a grumbling home. Complain about everything. If you decide you're going to go ahead and make Thanksgiving a premier portion of your home, then if it's a home of Thanksgiving, it'll not be a dissatisfied home. If your home will be a grateful home, then it will not be a discontented home. There will be things that you can do. Now, how do you get to that place where you have a Thanksgiving home? Well, I want to tell you something. First of all, model it before your children. Give thanks to your spouse. Give thanks to others in your home. Let them hear you constantly give thanks. When you pray, make sure you're constantly giving thanks to the Lord. And then teach your children how to give thanks. Teach them how to thank when somebody gives them something. Teach them how to thank them for it. Somebody gives you a nice little gift. Boy, this is old-fashioned. Writing a little thank you note. We're so used to text messages and emails today, but I'm telling you, I may sound a little old-fashioned, but I think everybody, no matter what age, would appreciate this. I love handwritten notes. There's nothing that trades for it. And when you can write a nice little thank you note to somebody. Now, because you've been typing all this time, your handwriting may be atrocious, but honestly... Find a way to write or say thanks to people. But ultimately, give thanks to God. Notice fourth component of a Christian home. Not only is a Christian home one where the Spirit of God is in control, one where the Scriptures are communicated, one where there's satisfaction in Christ, but lastly, verse 21, there is submission that is your charge. Now let's look closely at verse number 21. Please note this verse. The Bible says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now look up here for just a moment. Because every time we come to verses like this where the Bible uses the word submit, people do this. (gasps) That word is anathema out in the world. We can't talk about submission. Everybody pictures this, you know, person kind of dragging this other person by their hair, almost like the old caveman days. I want to tell you something. The word submission in the Bible is a very valuable word. It is a word that references order. Order. The Bible says that God is a God of order. God did not create the home. God did not create the church. God did not create you and say, I hope you figure things out. God created everything and He gave order to it. And there's order in the home. Now, when you come back the next time, we will talk a little more specifically about submission. We'll talk a little bit about today with the role of a husband and wife. But I want you to notice what verse 21 talks about. First of all, it is talking about all of us submitting to one another. 
Now, you husbands are sitting here today and you say, well, preacher, I know the next verses that talk about that. The wife ought to submit. No, no. Hang tight. Hang tight. We're going to describe that in just a moment. But I want you to know that you have a responsibility before God. You have a role that God has given you. And what God is asking you to do is to submit to Him to the role that you've been given. You know why many homes today and so-called Christian homes are dysfunctional? Is because husbands and wives and children have not submitted to the role that God has given them. Children are rebellious today and the home is in upheaval. Wives today are trying to take the leadership role that was never designed for them and they're finding themselves running out of energy and becoming confused And husbands are constantly looking at the wife as to why she's not doing what she's supposed to do. And I'm telling you, if every person in the home focuses on what God has given them, the home will function beautifully. It is a submission to my role, notice, as unto the Lord. Look look at this in verse 21. I I don't want you to miss this. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Of God. Our problem is we look around horizontally too much. Hey, you need to do this. Hey, you need. And we don't focus on ourselves. I've done enough marriage counseling over the years to realize that far too many couples are trying to fix the other one. Now, I don't say this in a derogatory way. But my wife and I have figured some things out about our lives after almost 30 years of marriage. She can't fix me. I can't fix her. She's tried. I've tried. You know who I can fix? Me. You know who you need to fix? You. Now, sure, as a parent, you have a responsibility with children, but when it comes here to that relationship of a husband and a wife, stop focusing on their role, stop focusing on their responsibility, focus on you and your responsibility, and submit yourself to God. Now, what's a husband to do? Look at verse number 23. Bible says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, he's the Savior of the body. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, what's your role? What's your responsibility? To lovingly lead your wife. Now, I emphasize the word lovingly because there are many husbands who will beat their chest and will go, I'm leading my wife lovingly you know what jesus was to the church and is to the church he's a leader but he's a servant leader and every husband today if you're going to take the role of being a leader in the home that god has established for you if you're going to be that leader you must first be a servant a servant servant leadership Every person that's here today that's a deacon, every trustee, every person that leads a ministry has heard me say on a number of times, I talk to our staff about it, servant 
leadership. I don't want somebody coming into a position of leadership and touting their authority and saying, well, I've got this position of leadership. You need to follow me. No, no. If you serve others, people will willingly follow. And husbands, for you to submit to the role that God has given to you, you need to love your wife just like Christ loved the church. How was it? He gave His life for them. Wives, what's your role? Look at verse number 22. Wives, submit yourselves and your own husbands as unto the Lord. Notice here, this aspect of the wife is to follow, if you will, submit to the leadership of that husband. You say, well, preacher, I'm smarter than my husband. All right. I've met a lot of wives that are smarter than their husbands, and I don't doubt it. I've met a lot of wives who might be able to make some greater decisions, but I'll tell you, when you ultimately come together and work on things and ultimately follow that loving leadership, boy, there's wonderful things that take place in the home. Christian home is one where there is a submission to the role that God has given to us. Understanding each other's roles is vital. Ultimately, we ought to serve one another, but we ought to surrender to the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ because He has designed the home. And He knows what He's doing. Now, in the next few weeks, we'll be talking more about the home, and we're going to talk about the marriage relationship. And I'm going to share some things that ought to govern every marriage. Now, I'm encouraging you singles, don't stay out because there's great truths that will come through. But I tell you, the very basis of a home is a husband and wife relationship and how important it is to come together. Now, this morning I gave to you some keys to building a Christian home. The Spirit of God's got to be in control. There's got to be a saturation of the Word of God. There has to be a submission to the Lord and to the role that He has given to you personally. But I want to tell you, unless you start following these keys, your home may end up spiraling out of control, may break apart. And God's desire is that the family be intact and be a showcase to the world around you of the grace and the mercy of God. As I close today, I... I was thinking this week, about the last number of years, it's interesting how reality TV has dominated television. People are just enamored by reality. Well, to be honest with you, they do a lot of taping and filming, and a lot of it's not real, just so you know. But one of the things that people have been intrigued by on reality TV is... uh, the, the reality shows that do with the makeover of homes. One of the earliest ones, 20 years ago or so, was uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Today you might watch things like Love It or List It, Property Brothers, Flipper Flop, Fixer Upper. And as much as it might be an enjoyment for you to kind of watch these things and see what goes on and how homes are trans, uh, transformed and made to look better and it's exciting... Can I give you some lies about these TV shows? Though they may tell you this, 
The job that gets done is never done on a shoestring budget. I hope you know that. Number two, the job always takes longer than what you hear said on a particular show. Number three, the furnishings provided to the homeowners are not really theirs. They're just provided just to make that home look so picture perfect. Number four, they tell couples, hey, you can go away on vacation and we'll do all this. How many of you have gone away on vacation when you've gotten a remodeling done at your home? It just doesn't happen. Now you say, preacher, how does that apply today to my home? What's the application, spiritually speaking? Can I say that if you're going to have a Christian home, it will cost you more than you think. Not in money, but in time and energy. I'm amazed at how many times how couples or moms and dads are looking for quick fixes in the relationships in the home. There are no quick fixes. Many times a relationship has deteriorated over months and possibly even years, and it might take that amount of time to fix it. And we live in this day when we go through fast food lines and we get everything so quickly. And we want our marriage transformed overnight. We want our children better the next day. But I'm here to tell you, you're not living in your home in a reality show. It'll take time and energy and spiritual focus to get your family where it needs to be. It'll take a lifetime building a family for God. And therefore, it is imperative that you stick through and do the job that God's called you to do. Some of you here today need the Holy Spirit's work in your life. The Holy Spirit's been prompting you about things and you've been rejecting it and you're living in the flesh. You've gotten in arguments all this past week. You've had all sorts of things happen. And you know what you need to do? You need to come to this old-fashioned altar and yield yourself to the Spirit of God and say, God, I want you to fill me, to control me, to use me, to make me be the person I need to be in my family or in my home or in my life. Some of you here today need to make the Word of God supreme. Some of you need to submit to the role that God has given you. I don't know what God's asking you to do today, but I want to encourage you to make a decision for Him.